Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in. Hoist the Colors Thursday. February is here. It is February 1st. That means softball on the way, ECU baseball on the way as well. And we have softball head coach Shane Winkler in studio today. Very excited about the upcoming season. And coach, uh, welcome back to the program. It's hard to believe, man. Y'all are a week out. Yeah, excited to be back. But yeah, it's been been a busy offseason. But yeah, we're seven days away. We're ready to go. Is So it's always weird because obviously I grew up playing baseball in the area and it's you know, it really hasn't been that cold this time of year, but it's still cold. So, like, do you still just have to get in game mode when you guys are scrimmaging and practicing this time of year and just deal with the cold weather? Is it, even though it's not quite baseball, softball season yet, you're yep. still getting in the mood? Yeah, definitely. It's it, The weather's been up and down throughout the, the past month of, of preparation. We've we've been out there when it's upper 20s, low 30s, and then we've had a couple of days in the 70s. So, it's uh, we know we got to get out there and grind. We're going to have some night games early on in February where we know it's going to be chilly, but... Yeah, the adrenaline kicks in a little bit, and it's it's go time. So most of our roster, other than kind of our California kids, is, right. has played in it before. <laughs> yeah, the California kids are probably like, what's going on here? It's a little a little cold, but hey, they'll get used to it. Um, all right, coach. So week out, how's the off season gone? We were talking, you know, a lot of you know some turnover for you guys year over year. How do you feel like it's gone this far for you? Yeah, I've been really excited about the way the off season's gone, but it, it's been an entirely new roster. So we joke that the first half of the fall was going to be putting nameplates on everybody and getting, right. getting to really learn it, everyone. Cause we had, we had five freshmen coming, we had six transfers. So half the roster is, is turned over and uh, we graduated some, some good pieces, some, some great kids, but we feel like that some of the talent that we brought in are, are some game changers. So we're excited about that. But uh, yeah, it's, it was learning and growing a lot early on uh, in the fall, again, getting to know each, players, getting to know each other, getting to play with each other for the first time, uh, getting to learn how to, how to coach people, how to learn kind of what, what makes them tick. Uh, but that's been kind of shored up pretty well throughout the fall. And uh, some players learning some new positions. And uh, some of our transfers, even those coming from Power Fives, getting a bigger role than they had, uh, maybe coming from uh, the ACC or where, wherever they did. But uh, excited about the talent we have and where we're at. We, we played pretty well for the fall. Uh, we were tested with games like NC State and Duke, things like that. We beat NC State to, to finish up the fall. We swung the bat really well there. And that's one thing we've lacked in the past is some offensive firepower, and we've got a lot of offensive firepower now. So really excited about where we're at, and it's it's the hard work that was put in the fall that got us here right now. Going into year three of your tenure, and you know all coaches come in to talk about culture and establishing that, do you feel like it's getting to the point, you know, work ethic, all that sort of stuff, to where it is, kind of where you want it at this point? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, culture, we, we established that, I feel like, year one. Uh, the way we run things, how we take care of our kids, you know, the – uh, just the positive environment that we have that that was built pretty strong. Our our kids work hard, whether it's with Coach Clue in the weight room uh, on the field. Our our kids get after it. But uh, now we've got additional talent that we've added on to our culture, and that's when we talked about the entire time we take our culture, the way we run things, 
and we continue to add talent to it, that's going to be our special sauce. How much is having that new th- weight room over there, kind of right by the facility? How much have y'all taken advantage of that and uh, getting some extra time, maybe off the field training, that sort of stuff? You know, we're we're fortunate where we get to utilize both weight rooms. We've got probably the nicest. Uh, weight room in, in the state of North Carolina with with we'll call it our football weight room right uh, so that's that's a great place right there but having having in our weight room gives us a little more convenience we'll use it about once a week so the girls can get in there uh, like I said with coach clue he does a great job but puts us a little closer to our field and uh, just the access to that we have the ability to be flexible with our times I mean it's it's such a great space Shane Winkler with the softball coach at East Carolina all right so season opener. At Charleston Southern, your old stomping grounds. Of course, you coached at uh, George Washington as well. But uh, what's it going to be like opening at uh, Charleston Southern for you? No, it's it's going to. I've thought about it since the day we scheduled it. It's it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Uh, like I said, spent ten years there. Uh, probably spent a year and a half, two years of trying not to say go Bucks around right. the, the teams that I was coaching a- afterwards. Spending so so long there, but uh, no, I, I love Charleston Southern. Uh, be a lot of people that. Uh, I got to work with down there that, that I know will come, come around the games and uh, just being a part of kind of building that facility and, and building that program for so long. It's it's going to be pretty cool to to get back in there and, and start the season. And y'all will compete then in the Charleston Invitational with St. Joe's, Cleveland State, College of Charleston. So do you like opening kind of away from home, maybe getting away? I know obviously you always want to play at home, but is it a good challenge you know, to open on the road a little bit with this tournament? Yeah, I mean, we, we've got to learn how to win on the road. Uh, we know there's obviously half a conference going to be on the road. Uh, conference tournament is on the road. So we, we've got to know how to win on the road. Uh, it's nice to give our field guys a, a weekend off is is a big thing also and get away from home and start that way. But it, it gives us the ability to only focus on softball for the opening weekend. Uh, obviously, we'll have some study hall, some things in the hotel, but um, you're you're in the hotel, you're with your teammates, you're going from the hotel to the field. It's it's strictly business all weekend long. So we, we've got to, uh, starting a day early, starting on Thursday, we've got a, a busy weekend with six games down there. So it's going to be a lot of games in a short period of time. Um, but I think it's a great way to start the season and uh, hopefully get off on a hot streak right away. Yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, it's not like you're opening up with just uh, a game or two. You're playing six games, uh, two games on February 9th and February 10th, and then again uh, another game on that Sunday. So you kind of find out a lot early about your girls, right? Yeah, like I said, we, we've got a lot of new ones, so the girls are going to see more significant playing time from where they've used to. Uh, girls that are getting a lot expanded roles from what they've been in the past so uh it is it's it's six games right away there's no time to uh, feel too high feel too low we've got to be ready to worry about next pitch and when you play that many that that quickly uh you get that ability to do so let's go a little bit uh, around the diamond we'll start uh, in the circle on on the the mound you guys you got some experience coming back yep. there just what do you think on on the girls coming back there the pitchers coming back and any new arms added to the mix yeah, we, we got Addie Bullis and Jordan Hatch coming back, and they had a bulk of our innings last year. And they'll uh, two lefties that can change up a lineup a little bit, change a pace type kids, uh, not overpowering, but they change speeds really well. And just coming from the left side is, is a tough look for hitters at times. So bringing them back with even a little more experience is going to be good for us. Uh, Taylor Apple comes in at a freshman that uh, she's a top 30 recruit in the country pitching-wise. So we're, we're excited about what she can do. She gives us finally that ability to be a swing and miss type kid, uh, which we've lacked in the past. So I uh, wouldn't say she's a front of the rotation kid right now, but she's got that potential by the end of the year to be a number one type 
Uh, so to have her with the experience of hatching bullets is uh, going to put us in a good spot. And then we got someone like Peyton Hudson, who is grad transfer from a couple years ago, uh, been in our program a year already, can come in, keep the ball down in the zone. Same thing with a freshman like Devin Long, down in the zone, change of pace. Uh, so we, we've got a lot deeper pitching staff, uh, again, more experience, but with that ability with the Taylor Apple to hopefully turn into one that can be a swing and miss. We get some strikeouts in there also to settle down the defense uh, that can be that kind of overpowering type pitcher as we go. You kind of like having a couple of veteran lefties on your staff. to You kind of know what you're getting, and then also maybe with uh, the freshman coming in, you can kind of take her along a little slowly. Right? Yeah, I mean, the experience is, experience is key. Uh, so they, they've been in big moments. They know what this conference is all about. Uh, they kept us in a lot of games last year, and now with the offensive firepower we have, uh, those pitchers that have put us in position to win, and we just couldn't take that step. Now, hopefully, we get get them a couple more wins on their record and make their numbers look a little better because they, they 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 did a great job for us last year. Now now we're in a position to not just compete but win, win those type of games that they kept us in. You know, I added a handful of transfers uh, from the Power of Five ranks. I'll go through. I'll, I'll kind of name each one and maybe give me you know a sentence or two on what they bring to the table. We'll start with Annie Kate Dalton, catcher from uh, North Carolina. Yeah, and Annie Kate's going to be. A, a big run producer for us this year. I mean, she we knew we were getting a, a, a good one that can play behind the plate and swing in a little bit, and she's blown away all of our expectations. So she'll be a middle-of-the-lineup type kid that I can see being an all-conference type performer, double-digit home run type kid. Uh, she's been swinging it really well. Her leadership's been outstanding, which is a little tough for some as, as transfers, but she's uh, she's done a great job from that aspect, which you want from uh, a catcher. So she should step in day one as as our catcher for us, leading the way. Our pitching staff does a great job with her, but uh, she's, she's been swinging it. So we're, we're excited about what she's going to do this year. Emma Jackson from Virginia Tech. What has she shown you thus far? Yeah, an, another one, just dynamic off- offensively. She's workout warrior. I mean, if, if you see the kid, she's she's jacked. Yeah. Yeah, action Jackson, she's, she's, she's jacked. She swings it, but she's a great athlete. Uh, saw some time at Virginia Tech, had a couple home runs there last year, but again, another middle lineup type kid for us who has the, the culture that we have in our program has been a great fit for her. So we've seen her mature and, and grow up a lot where she's going to she's gonna have a lot of success. So we're excited about what she's going to do. Again, middle lineup type kid. Morgan Johnson from Clemson looks like an outstanding athlete and also has, has done well when she's gotten a chance. Yeah, and, and the thing for her at Clemson is – She's gone through multiple ACLs, so she's been right. injured. But if I mean, you look at her; she's a six-two kid. Uh, she hits the ball as far as anyone in the country, and I, I, I can say that honestly because right. I mean, we we have the hit track set up in our batting cage. Athletes Unlimited came in and used our our stuff and our hit tracks. That all their analytics, her numbers are right there with the best players in the world. Uh, so now we just again, she's one that for the first time is going to get consistent playing time. So going to have to deal with the ups and downs of what a 56-game season is. Uh, but when she's on, again, there's there's no one in the country that hits it harder or farther. So uh, we're, we're excited about the numbers that she'll produce. Mackenzie Mason, uh, transfer from UConn. We've got the chance to talk to her for our SUP show. Great personality. Seems like a really good girl, too. What, what do you expect on her? Yeah, another. she's a great culture fit for us. Just the energy that she brings. Uh, she's seeing time at first base for the or third base for the first time. So her athleticism, she's been a middle infielder. Uh, but we love having that middle infield type athlete at third base who can cover the small ball, uh, cover some ground for us. So she's done a good job there. Uh, lefty slapper who can either solidify the bottom of our lineup to 
uh, be kind of a second leadoff for us or can eventually be a, a one-two type hitter. Uh, she's that type that's going to put pressure on the defense, great speed, runs the bases really well. But again, just a great overall fit for our culture. Uh, Haley, is it Masaro from yes, Ohio State? Uh, and what do you feel like she brings to the table? Yeah, she, she's she's one that was injured last year. So okay. she's a redshirt freshman. So kind of getting her freshman year uh, within reps overall uh, for us here. But again, great culture fit, has the ability to swing it for us. I think she's going to continue to grow even this year and throughout our career here, can play middle infield for us, but just great kid, great energy. And then last transfer I brought in, uh, announced with this group, Mary Catherine Scott's uh, College of Charleston. So she will be going back to her old stomping grounds too. What do you see from uh, from Mary uh, Catherine? Yeah, it's going to be a fun one for her. I I get to play against the program. I coached that for 10 years. She gets to play uh, right away against the program she transferred from. But MK, just a great shortstop. I mean, she is lights out at short. Uh, we've, we've been pretty solid there for the the past two years, but um, she, she gives us a, a lockdown shortstop for the next three years, which which is huge. Obviously, if you're built strong up the middle, we feel like we're built really strong up the middle. Uh, but offensively, it's going to continue to be a, a progress with her, which she, she's improved a ton since she's gotten here uh, with a lot of upside. But defensively, she's she, she's real, the real deal at short. What do you feel like are the, the best position battles right now for your team? Again, in some of this, like most uh, teams across the country, it'll take some time into the season to solidify some spots. But what are you kind of looking for as far as position battles right now? Yeah, for us right now, we feel we're deeper than we have been. So coming off the bench, our 10 through 14 is is pretty tight. Uh, so just battling for that next opportunity, that big pinch, op- pinch hit opportunity, who's going to be first coming off the bench is going to be uh, one of the big battles. Who's going to put themselves in a position to maybe get extra time in the starting lineup? Uh, we're still looking to see who's going to be starting at first, kind of that first base DP, who, who's who's going to be stepping up in that position. Um, but we we feel fit pretty comfortable where we are for for a good portion of our lineup, and it's just those next couple that are who's going to be there if, if we have an injury. Who's going to be the next in line? Uh, but we're a lot deeper than we have been. But again, we're, we've got a lot more impact, a lot more punch offensively than than we've had. So where we've had to rotate players because we haven't had a lot of success, we feel a lot better where we are overall with our top seven or eight. We talked about the newcomers, the returners on the mound. Who are some of the returning position players that y'all are counting on for leadership, production, that sort of thing? Yeah, Logan Sutton uh, played st- played and started at second base for us a lot last year. She, she's stepping in there from day one this year. Uh, she led us in home runs last year, but the strikeout numbers were up a little bit and the conference numbers weren't where she wanted, but she's shown a lot more consistency. Uh, the pop's going to be there, but just as a consistent bat, she's learned how to deal with failure a little more. Uh, so she's she's matured a little bit, and just the leadership has been there. Uh, but she's one that, as, as a returner, has done a great job. Malia Roll has uh, been kind of a bench player, pinch hitter her first two years. She, she's going to step into a little more of a role this year. Uh, one of our hardest workers, great, great attitude, uh, but she can see anywhere, time anywhere in the infield and has been swinging the bat really well. And then uh, over the past couple of weeks, Taylor Woodring's a senior who has been in and out of the lineup since, since we've been here. Uh, ton of power, does a great job drawing walks, finding ways on base. Uh, she's going she's gonna to see a little more time here early in the season to, to prove that she, she has a chance to to be in the lineup consistently, but uh, just a, another one of those that gives us a power bat, which we've got, we haven't had in the past. I think we had 20 home runs last year. Uh, we're hoping that we have a handful of kids that are double-digit type home run kids. So it's going to be a lot more exciting offense to watch, and 
a lot more ways to win games now. Shane Winkler in studio. Let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll touch on a little bit more of the schedule. The new members of the American also want to hit on the 2024 class, which uh, looks very good. They'll be in at the end of this coming year, not for this season, but very excited about that group as well. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back with Shane Winkler right after this. Back to hoist the colors with Stephen Iko. Shane Gavin, the game. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the colors. Shane Winkler and studio softball coach at East Carolina going into his third year. We'll be joined by Kaysen Romaley here shortly, basketball insider. We'll talk about last night's game against South Florida. All right, coach, we, we discussed, you know, opening on the road. You guys, again, Charleston Southern on Thursday, one week out, then the Charleston Invitational, then a long homestand, a couple of tournaments uh, with, with you guys in Max uh, Joyner Stadium. So that'll be a lot of fun. What, what do you think about just the overall non-conference schedule, how it all came together for you? No, we're, we're excited about the non-conference schedule. We, we feel like early on there's plenty of opportunities to kind of get our feet wet, get tested, get comfortable, uh, ho- hopefully get on, get on a run a little bit. Then we still got um, the local ACC teams that we, we get to play that we're really going to get tested with – UNC, NC State, Duke comes into our place for a doubleheader. So we've got plenty of opportunities to be tested. Um, but the 19-game home stretch is, is going to be nice. Obviously, we get to start on the road uh, that way. So we get to stay together with the bus ride. And like I said, on the hotel, uh, get to hang out on the beach there a little bit in Charleston. So uh, from, from a culture standpoint, it's, it's a nice way to start the season. But no, nothing beats being able to play at home. Uh, and get that many stretches. Hopefully, weather stays about like it is right now. Right, uh, and then start to warm up a little bit as we as we continue to get hot. Uh, opening conference series will be at North Texas, new team to the league, and, and that'll be in Denton, Texas. W- what do you know, if anything, about some of these new teams joining the league? North Texas, uh, UTSA, UAB, Charlotte, and FAU. Do you know much about them? Yeah, I mean just. Myself being a softball fan, right. I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention, watching all the time. I mean, we got Charlotte, who's obviously an in-state program, and watching what they've been doing. Uh, we lost a, a really good program in UCF when they lost. That's top twenty-five team, but our conference got tougher. Uh, we're one of the we're one of the sports where the conference actually got tougher. We brought right. in four four top one hundred teams RPI wise. So I mean, it's it's a challenge. Uh, North Texas has been top fifty for the past four or five years. Charlotte was a top top 35, top 40 team RPI-wise. Uh, so we, we're bringing in some tough ones. FAU has, has been a historically really good program, brought in a ton of transfers. So they'll be really good. So, I mean, we've got some teams that are going to be really tough. And one, one of the things for us that's going to be really challenging, we go from 18 conference games to 27. Uh, so just that alone makes our schedule that much tougher, especially the second half of the season. So week in, week out, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a battle. We've talked about, you know, for you guys, y'all have wanted to elevate the talent level. It feels like y'all have done that each year, and I know that's still kind of a, a goal going forward as well. But I guess the good news is when you play in such a tough league, you know if you get to that point, you know, where you're competing for a conference title, it's going to be a multi-bid league. you got a chance to play postseason. So is that a very attractive part of this, this league as well? Yeah, absolutely, because anyone that we're recruiting is probably also looking at some Power 5 programs. So they know they got the best of, best of all worlds here. Uh, we've got Power 5 facilities. we got a conference that plays Power 5 caliber softball with, with the teams that are in this conference. Uh, and, and, and you're going to do it at a great place like ECU. So, I mean, it's all, all of that is, is absolutely something that these, these players are signing up for. Because, again, the, the programs that they're also being recruited by are, are playing at that level. So we get to sell that we get to play at that exact same level. If we take care of business through a 56-game season or 
through a conference tournament. We're our goals and expectations in the NCAA tournament and um, bringing in the transfers that we did and uh, the freshmen that are our freshmen now and the recruiting class next year. That that was all that the sales pitch to them is you're in a conference to where we take care of business. We're going to put ourselves in that top 25 conversation, kind of like our baseball program does in a conference where it's a multi-bid league that could put us in a good spot for the NCAA tournament. I wanted to highlight the 2024 class again. These uh, ladies will be in later this year and then compete in the 2025 season, but really strong class coach, uh, a couple of top 20 players, Kendall Frost uh, from Georgia, a pitcher, and then also Jenna Kroll from Cane Bay in uh, South Carolina. Just w- your thoughts on this class? It looks like a really high impact class. Yeah, we, we worked extremely hard on that class. That's that's the first time that I feel like we've got a full allotment of time to to work on a, a recruiting cycle and recruiting class. And I mean, that's depending on what publication you look at, it's it's top thirty, top twenty five recruiting class. And we we did we worked hard, and it, it starts from. Uh, the pitching, obviously, Kendall Frost is, is she's a game changer. Uh, that's the type of pitcher who, from day one, has the ability to, to compete as a number one. Ava Fisher, uh, and another one who's an arm, she swings it a ton. You know, we had her come come down to camp, uh, throws harder than anyone we've had in the program. She's could be an upper sixties type kid, hits the ball a ton, uh, and then offensively, we bring in three kids who who absolutely swing it. Uh, Gabby Fowler's another one that. Uh, came into camp and we talked about how hard Morgan Johnson hits it. She's, she's right there. Uh, but yeah, Gabby Fowler goes to recruiting camps throughout the country and her exit velocity is the top in the entire country. Wow. So excited about what she, what she can do. Jenna Kroll plays for one of the best uh, programs in the entire country. Uh, obviously a top 20 recruiting talent right there has done a great job. And Brooke Massengale is a North Carolina kid great catcher has the ability to come in from day one and start competing for time so all, all five of them can be impact players for us and uh it, it, like i said it's a class that we worked re- really hard on and that's that's an impact class right there give us uh, a quick shout out to your coaching staff who obviously helped put put this together but also helping to you know build this program who's helping you out on the softball uh you know field right now yeah it's been been with me now for six years keanu Qualis does a great job with with our pitching staff uh obviously from a recruiting standpoint uh, had, had a big hand in, in getting Kendall Frost here and Ava Fisher. Uh, Jenna Cohn played for me at George Washington. Uh, it's done a great job transitioning into being a coach here. Uh, but them both, they're on the recruiting trail a ton throughout the summer and the fall. Weston Wall got to jump and be on our staff this year as a manager with the program uh, for a long time. So he's getting his feet wet in the, in the coaching world. It's, it's been nice. But I mean, just the amount of work and, and dedication to this program and building it the way that we want to build it, bringing in the right players. We know we have the right people. And I've said that from uh, from day one when I took over the program. We wanted our people, the, the people that are going to build the culture the right way. We've got that. And now, again, they, they've helped us bring in the talent as well. So we're, we're excited about where we are and where, where we're heading. One week out, again, Charleston Southern will be the opener on Thursday, right, Thursday February 8th. What is the big goal for your team? Is it just you know fine tuning the the little things at this point? We all do kind of more scrimmages this weekend for the final time. Yeah, we'll, we'll scrimmage Friday and Saturday, so that'll be our last opportunity to to really get live reps. Uh, we we get some live pitching from uh, Coach Q and, and Coach Wall. They they get to throw a little bit, but from from really getting the battle uh, in, in scrimmage, we'll do that Friday Saturday. Next week will be be a short week with a couple practices Tuesday, Wednesday, and we're on, we're on the road Wednesday night. So we'll get to fi- fine-tune some things. Uh, girls getting a little, little excited, a little, little stressed out a little <laughs> bit because uh, we're getting so close. 
Uh, seems like just not too long ago, we still had a month, but now now a week away. So again, they're excited. We're, we're in a good place and uh, a good opportunity again to hopefully get off in a hot start. Absolutely. Well, Coach, best of luck this season, man. Always good to have you in studio and looking forward to, to seeing how the season goes out. And uh, enjoy Charleston a little bit. I don't know how much free time you'll get in your old stomping grounds, but obviously great city. So, yeah, we'll uh, get a little bit. Best of luck, man. Appreciate I appreciate it. you. Absolutely. That's Shane Winkler again. Softball season will be here next week. And then the home opener coming up. Long homestand. That'll start on February, 6th, or February 13th on a Tuesday. And then they'll start the Pirate Clash February 16th against Fairfield. Again, softball season coming up for the Pirates. Be sure to get out to Max R. Joyner Family Stadium and support these girls and uh, Coach Winkler and his staff. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk basketball. East Carolina loses a tough one, 71-60 to South Florida. Case and Romaley will join us in studio. We'll go over that and look ahead to Charlotte this weekend. This is Hoist the Colors on a Thursday. What's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome in. Hoist the Colors. Thursday. Tell you what, awesome conversation with Shane Winkler, head softball coach. And uh, again, they'll get their season underway next Thursday at Charleston Southern. Looking forward to uh, to seeing how the ladies do. Casey, you, you ready for some softball for that conversation, man? Yeah, I'm ready for some softball. I went to a couple games last year. I'll definitely uh, tune into a couple this year. I don't I don't mind going out there watching some softball. Yeah, I mean it's a great facility, and uh, I'll tell you what, I really like Coach Winkler and what his staff is doing. So, uh, looking forward to their season and seeing how they they put it all together. All right, let's talk hoops. East Carolina. I was really hoping, man, that we would have a three-game winning streak to talk about because we're making the trip to Charlotte on Saturday. And uh, I, I, I'll i be honest, Casey. I thought the Pirates were going to play well last night. I had a great feeling about the game. And then they got down 11 nothing. I was like, well, this is a problem. It wasn't a very good game. It's just the problem is, like, the times they do play well, they play well in these little – two and a half minute, four minute spurts. And then they'll play well for four minutes, then they'll play bad for 10 minutes. It's just so bad. And I mean, there are multiple opportunities where they were right there. I mean, right there where if you just press the gas a little more, you tie the game, you get some momentum. And you, and also another thing is when you're at home, you have to get the crowd into the game. And every single time they would get close, it was there were, there were two points that got really close when it was 20 to 22 and 50 to 45. And after those buckets to go down two and five, South Florida came right down, scored, hit a three or hit a layup, and then crowd out of it. And then all, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we just start dragging our feet, and then it just went downhill from there. Yeah, it was 22-20. South Florida, in the first half, answers with a 13-0 run, <laughs> including three three-pointers. A, you got to give them credit because they were knocking out some huge shots. Uh, and then the second half, 50-45. Pirates have all the momentum. Ten minutes left. Fast break. You get a steal. And then they try to get too fancy on the alley-oop. Could have made it 50-47 if you just score there. Instead, you turn it over. Then the other end of the floor, there was, uh, I think, a block shot, loose ball. Somehow kicked to the to Birdman in the corner uh, prior, and he knocked down a three. And that sparked a 12-hour run. And that was basically the game. And, and the crowd was into it at that point. You know, the crowds have been kind of disappointing 
I feel like recently, like the Temple game was not good. You know, Wednesday night, you're four and four in the league. You're hosting one of the first place teams. You know, it would be nice, but again, you fall behind eleven nothing. You can't really get into the game. So it's, it's just it's a, it's a double edged sword. I wish the crowds would be better, but also the product has to be better too. So it's just one of those things. It's just been a frustrating year, man. Like I'm to the point, Case, and I'm going on a bit of a rant here. Like I, I we'll talk about the individual games, but it's just been so up and down, man. It's just been frustrating compared to what the expectations were coming in. Yeah, and it's just so frustrating. It's like me and you have talked. You've talked to me about it a lot because you've been here longer than I have. It's just how anytime there's even an ounce of excitement or expectation, like a like some momentum, some momentum. Like when when we won two games previous this year in a row, I was talking about, oh, we're about to do something. We're going to win the first three game streak. Didn't happen then. Then coming to this game, it was happening then. But then, but then again, it all starts with just show that you just have to show up to play and they honestly did it because you started out down 11 nothing and you lose by 11 71 60 so i mean it's just and also just you have to make easy baskets there were so many layups so many drives that just don't go in and but i mean it's just it's just tough and then the six or run in the game makes the score look a lot better than than what it was it was a 20 point win by south florida in my opinion yeah, I mean, when they went on that run after the uh, the botched alley-oop, they, I mean, they took, what, a 14-point lead? If not, actually, it's 15. 17-point lead because it, it would have gone from five to... You're right, it was 47-60. Yeah, that, like, that was just like that. disappointing. Um, Philip, you were there. You were in attendance. Your thoughts on the Pirates' disappointing night, 71-60 against USF. Yeah, we kind of talked about it before the show. I feel like last night's game and this team as a whole has been that toxic relationship, that one that right as you're about to get out of it and just accept that it's over, they do just enough to string you along. You know, you guys mentioned them cutting it down at 22-20 as well as 50-45 to or 45-40, whatever it was. And they do that, and then they still lose. And then when you look at the season as a whole, they give you a two-game win streak, and you're like, hey, season's turned around. You know, we're, maybe we can finish fifth in the conference like we were projected. And then they don't only lose to a team. I get South Florida 6-1 in league play and won 11 of their last 12, but you looked abysmal. You looked like you didn't belong on the same floor as that team last night. You didn't defend the three ball. You didn't, you know, I know it's easier said than done to force turnovers, but this is a team who doesn't turn the ball over a lot and could get in panic mode if you did force early turnovers. You didn't do that. You missed easy shots. They went into a 1-3-1 against you, and it wasn't even a 1-3-1 trap, and you still couldn't pass out of it. They were forcing medium-range jumpers and deep jumpers, and you were just building a house of bricks. So, I don't know. You guys are sitting here laughing at me. Is that a point y'all made? or Coach early? them up. This team Coach just, them up. They just can't shoot. Yeah, that, like, How much of that is just the problem? They can't shoot. Yeah, and... And I've said this multiple times on record. I mean, in college basketball nowadays, you have to be able to shoot the ball. You have to score 70 to 80 points a game if you want to be a good team. You have to have scoring threats. All f- I'll stand on this. All five players on the floor need to be able to shoot the three ball and need to be a threat. And and out of our starting five, is there one that is a threat, that is a knockdown threat that you cannot leave open? I would say Brandon Johnson, but the problem is he – doesn't really create off the dribble, so basically you just have to stand by him on three points. Yes, and then also another point that I want to talk about is R.J. Felton. <clears throat> Look, I love R.J. Felton. He's a phenomenal player, but at the same time, it's like he needs to find that balance of when to turn it off and turn it on because, I mean, the pass, I mean, 
the last game, what did he have? How many points did he have? So uh, 13 points last night, 4 of 17, and then against Temple, 24 points, 7 of 24. Yeah, so, so he had as many shots as he did points. He's 11 and, of 41 the yes. last two games. And yes, he is scoring all right, but I mean, you have to find that balance of, I mean, there are so many times during possessions, they just do these dribble handoffs on the wing and then they just drive to the rack. So, I mean, they just have to find that balance of when to use him and when not to use him. But also something that's hurting that is Brandon Johnson's in a funk right now. He has not been playing well the past couple weeks. Ezra's not been playing well. And then also you're experimenting right now with starting Jaden and Sear when having Cam and Bobby come off the bench. So, I mean, there's just a lot of moving parts right now. And seemingly none of them are just falling into place. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess if you're the coaching staff, you know RJ is going to. I mean, like he's he is your one constant at this point. He's taking a lot of shots, but you know he can score, and he you know he's going to play 100. Uh, percent You know, at times the effort last night on the boards from some of the guys and the the help defense was just like there were just guys standing around and uh, not giving the effort. I thought like you know RJ is going to do it. But I agree, like, eventually, if you start the game 2 of 14 or 2 of 8, 2 of 10, like, at some point, you got to just make an adjustment. Say, look, RJ, we love you, man. If you get an open look, take it, but let's try to facilitate. Because he, he had zero assists, too. So it's not like he was driving and kicking. He was driving and shooting, and he goes 4 of 17. And I'm with you. I love RJ. You can ride him when he's hot, but he can also take a lot of shots and be non-efficient like he has been the last two games. So there's got to be a balance there. So they got to figure that out. They got to find a way to get Brandon more shots. And again, some of it is he doesn't create off the dribble, but I thought in the second half, at least last night, he tried. And then Ezra, they got to get him back going to the free throw line. One free throw attempt last night. We know he's not going to shoot the ball a lot, but his game is getting to the free throw line. And if he's taking one attempt and just having three rebounds in 23 minutes, that's not... That's not good enough from your big three. No, not no, not at all. And something else I want to touch on is we're talking about East Carolina, but just the the growth of this South Florida squad is unreal. I mean, this is a first-year head coach from Kennesaw State. And he, I mean, he turned that program around from just – they were rough the past couple of years when, Bre- when Gregory was there, and he brought in proven transfers, and look at them. They're, and look, me and my roommates talking last night, like – like, I think this team's one step away from being a tournament team. Like, we, we were talking last night, like, imagine if this team had a player like B.J. Mack, who didn't transfer. They would be a they would be a force. And just, I'm very impressed by that coach. And uh, me and Steven talking about last night, uh, young blood transfer to Kennesaw State. He just plays in slow motion. He just gets what he wants, plays at his own pace. I know he shot well over 50% from the floor. He had 20 points and just doing whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it. Yeah, and that's what makes it so frustrating. I think USF has a very similar basketball background to East Carolina, like not much tradition. They've made the tournament three times, all told. ECU beat them last year in the in the conference tournament. They have historically been towards the bottom of the American, much like East Carolina, outside of a year or two. So every situation is different. I think they've got a little bit more NIL money that they promised. Uh, I, I can't think of their coach's name, Raheem. Uh, so that probably played a role. He brought the kids from Kennesaw with him, you know, Youngblood and also Stroud. 
They land Pryor from Juco. Selton Miguel was already there. So he just did a good job constructing that roster. They probably got lucky with some of the guys. Every situation is different. But it's frustrating, Casey, when that team that you beat last year in the tournament that has been about on your level comes in with a first-year coach and really dominates the game. I think that's what makes a game like last night frustrating on your home floor. Yeah, it's just frustrating. I mean, we talked about it time and time again. It's just first-year first year head coaches coming in and beating you is a tough pill to swallow. But then again, it just goes to show on how he used the portal and used it and used it correctly. And yes, he was extremely successful at Kennesaw State last year. They pretty sure, um, Philip, didn't they lose to like Xavier on some crazy some crazy play the last play of the game in the tur- first round tournament last year? Let me look it up. That does yeah, sound right. Because I'm pretty sure they were they they were in that game and they lost on something crazy. And so then again, just like you said, Stephen, every situation is different. He had the opportunity to pull from that pool of players. And I mean, look, I was working out for him. And then you also hit on the portal. And that's also something I've talked about with a lot of people. It's like a lot like, yes, coaching matters in college basketball, 100%. But I also think in nowadays college basketball, a major aspect is hitting in the portal. If you look at the best teams in the country around the country, I mean, the teams that are the best have hit in the portal. Look at look at who won the national championship last year. U- UConn, for example, they hit on they hit on Tristan Newton. Look at uh, Houston this past year. They got uh, LJ Cryer from Baylor, top team in the country. Kansas, Hunter Dickinson. It's just you have to hit in the portal, and it also means finding diamonds in the rough. Yeah, because at ECU, I think they will have some NIL help this offseason, but it's not going to be to the point they can go out and outbid schools for players. So you're going to have to get creative. You're going to have to – you know, I don't think you can live in the portal, but you have to at least bring in more than I think what they've been doing in the portal. And I think that um, in year three with the state of this program, I think it's no longer time for long-term projects. I think it's time for players that can come in and produce now. And if you look at that team last night in South Florida, there are no long-term projects on that team. They're all here to win, all here to win now. And look, I'm for that. I'm always for getting your guys in, building them, changing them. But at where you're at right now, players like, I mean, we're not going to go there, but I mean, you just need players that can win now. No doubt it'll be an interesting offseason. Uh, let's talk about the positives. It wasn't all negative. They changed the intro video, Case. They did and, change uh, the intro video. And I'm going to say, look, whoever uh, orchestrated that did a phenomenal job. I thought the intro video was great. Much improved music choice, and uh, I thought the highlight package was good. So I thought that was a, a major positive. We're taking steps in the right direction, <laughs> hey, on and off the court. Uh, Kaysen, to your question earlier, yeah, they were beating Xavier, and then they lost, they missed two of their last – they only made two of their last 14 field goals yes. last year in that game against Xavier. They ended up losing 72 to 67 in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Yes, they were, they were right there from beating them. I'm pretty sure that game was in Greensboro, I think. And I'm, uh, so they were right there close to beating them. And I mean, you go from NCAA tournament to South Florida and they're, what now, like 15 and something? Uh, 14 and 5. That is just remarkable considering South Florida. No South doubt. Florida. Especially when somebody said 12 wins would be a good season. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was I a great who said that. Yes, I wonder who, I wonder who said that. Uh, other positive from last night, uh, Ben Salvungo. By the way, never thought he'd be playing... Uh, team high, but he almost had the highest plus minus on the team. He had six in Logan Bourgeois. Two guys with tape on the back of the jersey. They had the highest plus minus on the team oh, last yeah. night. Oh yeah, I just cannot believe 
he's playing 20 minutes. I mean, I mean, look, he's and for for his situation, he's playing outstanding. Getting here a week ago, and he's not a liability. I mean, he's not a liability at all. I mean, he got scored on a couple of times, but that's totally understandable when young I bloods mean, going at you. So he just got here. He just got here, and he is an athletic specimen in his lob. He got up for that one, and just what a what a way to score your first two points. And I think that with I think that with him, the future is bright with him. So I'm looking forward to see his growth in the next year. Cam Hayes scored 14, 7 of 14 from the field, 0 of 6 from three-point range. So let's see if I can do some math here. He went 7 of 8 inside the arc, which is very efficient. And I think, you know, Coach Schwartz talked post-game, we got to find more guys to take the pressure off Ezra, Brandon, RJ. I thought last night was one of the first times we kind of saw Cam Hayes be Cam Hayes. And I know you're – you know, obviously pretty tight with Cam. So what did you think about his performance last night? That was the first that was the first time in a while I've seen Cam in that uh attack mode. He played very well last night. He was looking for a spot. He's not the best three point shooter, but his spot is a his spot is right at that free throw line mid range and he was knocking it down last night. He was getting what he he was getting what he wanted. He was driving on the rim. And but then again, just like Schwartz said, sometimes you got to get the pressure off that three, and Cam and Cam did that last night. But Cam was the only offense last night, and that was the problem. He th- he also had three assists, three steals. Uh, Bobby Pettiford usually when he scores, ECU does well, and he he, he didn't have a bad night. He scored seven points, three of five, four assists. He did have four turnovers in twenty one minutes. It looked like he was on the bike a lot, so I don't know if his hamstring was bothering him, but. It almost seems like for me, either they need Jaden Walker or Bobby Pettiford to have a really good game to win right now in conference play. And last night, really, neither of them had their best games. Yeah, and Brandon Johnson not playing like Brandon yeah. Johnson is not helping either. I mean, there there are multiple times where I see him pull up from three. I'm like, that one is that one's going to go. What did he make one last night? Yeah, one of four from three points. <laughs> yeah, he was one of four, and it's just. They've just they've just got to get going, and I mean early in the season when they had success, they were playing through Brandon Johnson, and also just Brandon Johnson and Ezra have to play off each other. We cannot keep doing this. One's gonna have a good game, one's gonna have a bad game. They both have to play well. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll take a look ahead to Charlotte's. Again, we'll be we'll all be making the trip, so we'll take a look ahead to Halton Arena and what to expect there. Can the Pirates bounce back and pull the upset? We'll discuss that. This is Hoist the Colors on a Thursday. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on this Thursday. We talked about the East Carolina loss to South Florida. Last night, 71-60. Pirates come up short. Fall back to 11 and 11, 4 and 5 in the American. If they want to make Pirate fans forget about that outcome, they can come out with a big rivalry victory on Saturday. At Charlotte, gentlemen, we will all be inside Halton Arena. Are we excited? I'm ecstatic. I love good basketball atmospheres, no matter if my team's down 20 or up 30. It's always a good time. I'm looking forward to that. I've been there one time, haven't been there in a long time. But now with them, excitement in the program, and I'm looking forward to seeing some tents. Yeah, apparently Charlotte students are camping out starting soon, so that'll be an interesting experience. Uh, Philip, what do you think? Yeah, you've been to Halton Arena before, but it's been a while, so can the Pirates, yeah. uh, can they make it interesting Saturday? You know, you would hope so. You know, it's, you hope it's one of those things where 
ESPN does a Friday funny, like, hey, hey, this team camped out for a game against a crap team, and then they lost. I think that's our best hope. But, uh, no, this place actually is a pretty electric basketball atmosphere. I remember back in the Bobby Lutz days, I went a handful of times. And, you know, this fan base, that's so for so long, all they had to cheer for was basketball. So I, I think it's going to be a great atmosphere. I think Pirate Nation will show out because there's a lot of Pirate fans there. Sorry, I kind of went on that. I know you asked me about the game specifically, not the atmosphere, but there's my – charlatan announcing or an analyst there but no I, th- I think this pirate team can win any game we saw it when they hung with fau they we saw it when they hung with florida and south carolina it's just a matter of which pirate team shows up you know if it's a team that plays sound defense and you know rebounds the ball well with two hands then they stand a chance to win the basketball game when they're going in there slapping at rebounds trying to grab them awkwardly not rotating well on defense they get their butt kicked and that's what happened last night Charlotte has been one of the surprises. Ron Sanchez, their former coach, left to go what back to Virginia, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, they're, they're one of their assistants took over, <coughs> and they have won seven games in a row. They actually had this week off, so that's another notch in the advantage category for Charlotte. They beat FAU by two, beat Tulsa 84-76, one at UTSA 66-58. One at Rice in overtime, 81-79. Beat North Texas in a low-scoring game, 56-44. Beat UAB, 76-70. Beat Tulane, 75-71. So they've had a lot of close games. They also play the 357th slowest tempo in the country. There are 362 teams. ECU plays one of the slower tempos as well. So this has the makings of kind of a (laughs) lower-scoring, shocker, tough – defensive basketball game I don't know like do you think what do you think of this matchup can the Pirates find a way just to grind it out and keep it close I think the Pirates can find a way but um, I've got a text message from you multiple times Pirates on, Pirates on the road Pirates fails. on the road usually is the struggle but this year they've already won multiple conference road games that is very very true but this will be the loudest atmosphere that they've that they've been in I think this will be the loudest atmosphere Schwartz has been in outside of UNC Wilmington last last year. But look, I also want to touch on this. Just I think it's so good that Charlotte's in the conference, in my opinion, because, I mean, they're going to create good rivalries, good back and forth, I think. And I'm all, I also think there will be a, a, not a great, but a solid ECU crowd there. There's, there should be because th- there's a lot of Pirates in the Charlotte area. There definitely is. So I, I think, look, I, I, this was always a fun game in Conference USA when ECU and Charlotte were in the same league. Usually the Pirates would play well at home, struggle on the road. Uh, we'll see if this iteration is any different. The last time EC went to Charlotte during COVID under Joe Dooley, they actually won. The attendance for that game was one, according to the box score. But the Pirates did win the last time they were at Charlotte. So we will see what happens Saturday. We'll be there and uh, looking forward to it. If you want to find Kaysen and I, we'll be somewhere on the highway making our way. Maybe yeah. we'll stop in Chapel Hill for Duke Carolina. Yeah, and Lord knows where Lord knows where we'll be sitting for the Charlotte game. I have no clue where yeah, we're sitting. Yeah, apparently they have their own media section we were looking up earlier, so I don't know where in the corner. Is there any chance you guys stop on the way home? Would Erica allow that for you guys to stop? Uh, probably not, home? but you never know. We might stop for NC State, Georgia, NC State, Georgia Tech, and PNC. There is zero shot. We might stop for that. <laughs> what time is that game? Seven. I hope. I I hope so. I hope it's at seven class. Perfect what, If ECU wins, we'll stop for Georgia Tech, <laughs> NC State. All right, we got to get out of here. We'll be back tomorrow, Friday. Joe Sampson in studio. Thanks to Shane Winkler, Kaysen Romaley, Philip Pilkington. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo.